Hello, and welcome to Let's Get Vocal with Rena. I'm your host, Rena Cook, and I am a voice and speech geek. I am obsessed with all things voice. As a voice and presentation coach, my passion is empowering others to use their voices in more compelling and authentic ways. On this podcast, I visit with professionals who have powerful messages about speaking truth, using the voice to change hearts and minds. I also love witty, intelligent banter and always enjoy talking to others who are passionate about helping people and making this world a better place and having a great time doing so. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Let's Get Vocal with Rena Cook. Now, if you listened to the last episode, you know that I am kind of interested, intrigued, obsessed with the topic of significant at 70 and beyond. And we're going to continue that theme in the next few episodes. It's my plan to invite guests on the podcast who have wisdom, insight, and personal experiences to share on this issue. And today, I am so thrilled to introduce to you my friend and mentor, Jane Mudgett. Now, Jane is an author of a wonderful book called Five Alive. She's a speaker, a coach, and a trainer. Jane, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Wow, I'm I'm really honored. I think it's pretty significant to be considered significant. So thank you so much, Rena. <laughs> well, well, you, Jane, I have no idea what your real age is, but you are significant at any age. I oh. picked up on that the minute I met you. I said, this is a woman to be contended with. Now, rather than have me read your outstanding bio, will you tell our listeners about yourself and maybe what's most alive in you today? Yeah, um, I my preferred bio probably would be that my personal motto is that it's better to have 10 different experiences than the same experience 10 times. And for me, my primary outlet is traveling. So I've been to all 50 states, all seven continents, and 36 countries. And that list continues to grow, although there's been a little bit of a hurdle with the pandemic limiting our yeah. travel. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah, my my what allows me to do that is I've had a 40-year uh experience, professional experience in the auto industry and manufacturing, in car rental, in energy marketing and trading, and in the financial services industry. And wow. um I jumped right in at 20 when I wrapped up my college degree and went to work for Chrysler Corporation. And uh, built on that for those 40 years and wrapped up the corporate work when I was 60. So uh, while I continue to develop progressively more freedom, meaning more time off over the years so that I could travel and have new experiences, I really was able to grasp that when I retired from, from the corporate world and decided to uh, have my own business and work on a truly flexible schedule. So that's that's it in a nutshell. I love that. I mean, I know that you travel. I follow you on Facebook and I see these incredible pictures and so on. And and you were in Italy 
when the pandemic hit Italy. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. In fact, it was really a debacle. We were supposed to, we were skiing in Cortina, which is in the Italian Alps, they call the Dolomites. And we had a great ski trip, which we were going to end the ski trip and go to Venice. Well, Venice was like an epicenter in Italy of COVID-19. <laughs> right. So that was canceled. So we go back to skiing on the mountain, which was where the World Cup was going to be. And then they canceled the World Cup. So long story short, we stayed in the same hotel, which is where the Swiss ski team was supposed to stay for the World Cup. We continued skiing until they shut down the resort. And the next day, we uh, essentially at midnight got on a bus to uh, cross Europe to get to Germany to fly out and come home. And that was March 11th. And uh, as I said, don't let the door hit you in the ass. You know, I mean, it really, it really, Europe shut down after that. And we came home and we immediately quarantined for two weeks. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty dramatic. <laughs> indeed, indeed. You know, I love how we met stories. And I always have my guests um, tell how we met. Do you remember how we met? You know, I, I just, I remember knowing you, but I don't remember how we met. So um, can we rely oh, well, on your memory great. for that? Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, and my memory isn't always totally accurate. Yeah. This is yeah. how I remember it. I had been hearing about you from people I network with. And, and I, I heard like, about oh, you. you. Need to talk to Jane. Okay. <laughs> and you need to talk to Jane Mudgett. You need to talk to Jane Mudgett. So I reached out to you and we met for coffee at Shades of Brown. Oh, yeah, that's right. Do you remember right. that? You were in the and front we have this, Okay. Yes. And you ha we had this most amazing conversation. And I was like, oh, my God, I am in the presence of greatness. And, and I remember the most specific moment is I cracked an age joke. And you smacked mm. my hand. <laughs> you, mm. know, you said, don't even go there. Mm -hmm. You are not old age is not a factor and and i remember how impressed i was with not only how you know you drew me up short and how important it was that i got that message and yeah. i still every time every time i want to make a deferential age joke i think about that yeah, I, I really thank you for remembering those details. Uh, what triggers the word, the, that kind of reaction is the word old. And I have totally removed the word old from my vocabulary, although I'm using it here because for a number of reasons. Now, one of the reasons is everyone has their definition of old. You know, what is old? Is old 40? Is old being hunched over? is old be, having gray hair, you know, it means different things to different people. I know mm -hmm. people in their 90s that act younger than people in their 40s. I would say the 40-year-old right. was old and the 90-year-old is young. So that's, that's the first thing. And the second thing is it does come with labels and the labels imply a negative connotation. And while there are parts of myself that surely are not as sharp as they might have been in the past, there are other parts that are really more energetic and alive than they ever have been. And so I don't want, I don't want that to be discounted because somebody labels me as old. So that's why I feel strongly about it. I love that. I love that. And for me, in my mind, age was always 
10 years older than wherever I happen to be. Oh, yeah. Right? I would if I'm 20, <laughs> old starts at 30. When I was 40, old starts at 50. And now um, I have decided not to hide my age anymore. When I first started my business, I just kind of didn't go there and talk about it. Right. But But now I think it's important for me to own that I have yeah. had 70 years of experience, 70 right. years of wisdom, 70 years of life experience. And as you say, I may not be in some respects as sharp or as strong or as healthy or as beautiful as I was when I was 20 and 30, right? But I am sharper and smarter and wiser and more patient and more confident. All of these yeah. things are gifts of age. And you have tremendous intellectual equity that you did not have when you were 30. And that that's has right. value. It's not a Absolutely. heavy bag to carry. It's a, it is a bag of honor. It, it is something Absolutely. you've earned and learned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So what? Let, let's talk more about your purpose. Now, you've talked about your purpose right now in your life as primarily getting experiences as traveling. However, you spend a lot of time speaking and networking and working with people. So what is your professional purpose at this point in your life? Well, um, last year, I wrote a book, Five Alive, to revitalize your life through five different a sort of behaviors or elements, and those are finance, food, fitness, friends, and fun. And I still really believe in those. Um, I must say that, unfortunately, by uh, by launching a book at the same time as a global pandemic, that particular goal in life didn't work out as planned, and my eight or ten speaking engagements uh, were canceled. So that's okay. I still have pride in the book, number one. And number two, I really believe in the message. So I just took a different approach and, and moved the C up, and that was the coaching. So most of my coaching is leadership coaching of those folks and executive coaching. So those folks in the C-suite and maybe one or two levels down. And that's how I invest the bulk of my time. I also have articles that I post generally on LinkedIn, and I do a video series that's a biweekly video series called Coach to Coach Tips from the Experts that is really just a lot of fun. So that's how I'm investing my time now. I still do presentations. I still do some training. I really aspire to do some what I call transition coaching for those folks who are edging towards the, e the end of their professional careers mm -hmm. and either moving to what I call a values-based uh, job or career or they're moving into retirement or a different lifestyle. I'd mm -hmm. love to do more of that because I think people have a really, really tough time um, and it's not just financial. I learned that as a financial advisor and financial planner for 15 years, but I, that's not because of the finances. It's because the other elements that people don't invest in as far as having relationships, having fun, taking care of themselves. I, I would like to do that. And I, and I must say, I, I've only, I've only done that on a very limited basis. So it, Doing transitional coaching is still an aspiration. 
I love that. And as you were talking, Jane, I was reflecting on my own kind of issues with my retirement. As you know, um, I retired from the university six mm-hmm. years ago. And and I had thought that it would be a relatively easy transition because I was so excited about what I was leaving the university to go and do. Right. And it was not. And it remains a very rocky transition for me. Right. Um, I, I vacillate wildly between, oh, my God, what have I done to, oh, my God, where am I going? Am, am I almost dead? Should I just quit? Should I gear up? Right? Mm-hmm. I, everything in my world changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I'm still... Thing. No, Go that's ahead. the thing. I mean, it's like there's a training model called the conscious competent model. And what happens, we're, you know, we're very consciously competent when we're in our last position, whatever that last position is. And it's true for an active employee as well. But then all of a sudden we move to the next step, whatever that step is, the step may be to retirement, the step may be to the next job, the step, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. And we become, we become a, a little part of us becomes incompetent. We are consciously incompetent. We don't know how to do things. And if it's a new job, we know that we have to ask lots of questions and get lots of directions. But what if it's our life? And so mm-hmm. I think that's still the important element that, that is missing, the amount of self-reflection needed when we make this big life change, regardless of age, is, is pretty heavy. And that's when I do think we need some coaches. And, and I do think that we may need some therapy as well. There are some things mm-hmm. that from our past that we need to address and, and handle, because if not, they're just going to come back and bite us in the butt again. Now, mm-hmm. I, will, mm-hmm. I will say one thing, the difference between a therapist and a coach, okay? A yes, therapist, let's talk about that. Yeah, the therapist is dealing with today and the past. Mm-hmm. A coach, and yes, I do incorporate some life coaching in what I do. The coach, however, deals with today and the future. Mm-hmm. Mm. So what it is the future goals are, the future aspirations, and, and how do we develop a, a plan that's in pencil, that can be erased, that can change, but, but mm-hmm. a little plan of what the journey is to come. Mm, that's lovely. So, you know, every time I've been with you and talked with you and I read your book, there is no evidence in you of fear. And I wonder if underneath, if you have fears and uncertainties that you deal with, what are they and how do you deal with them? What are your strategies for dealing with them? I am really, really lucky. And um, I'm part of a very lonely club, I must say. I do not have a lot of worry. I do not have a lot of anxiety. And I do not have a lot of fear. Unless it's a suspension bridge over a large <laughs> abyss and it sways <laughs> in the wind, I really don't like that. But I don't have a lot of fear day to day. And I think part of the reason is that I was allowed as a kid to be a world explorer. And what I mean by that is I really had no supervision at all after a certain <laughs> age at all. I love that. 
And uh-huh. so um, I was able to really experiment in the world and figure out how to get scars or break a finger and a toe and, and, and just be in different situations. And, uh, and I was brought up to be very independent. And so my mother, who was my primary caregiver, all, although my dad was there too, he, he traveled an awful lot, um, we were taught to be very independent. And that means you take the consequences that go with the independence. And after a while, Mm -hmm. you sort of, you build up the arrows in your quiver to know what kind of arrows you need in different situations. Um, But you, what you were asking about is, is fear. Um, And I think, I think that the other element of fear is, I looked at fear differently when my mother died. Um, my mother died in her early 60s of lung cancer, mm. and she was a lifelong smoker. In fact, her grandmother taught her how to smoke cigarettes. Come on, Joni, let's go have a cigarette behind the garage. And they would do that because it, you know, you just didn't do that in, in the 30s and 40s, right? Mm-hmm. Women didn't. And I realized that my true fear was, uh, stem from what was modeled for me. And that was my mom did not get as much love as she could have. And she did not give as much love as she could have because she was Mm -hmm. very protected of, of herself for whatever reason. I could never analyze why that wasn't my job. Mm -hmm. I could analyze how that impacted me and how I had to make a change. And so that seemed to realize, I seemed to realize that there was going to be fear involved with seeking and giving more love, but that the payoff was worth it. So it, it tamped it down. Mm-hmm. And I still, I still believe that. Mm. What an interesting story, Jane. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, and it was I was thinking back as you were talking about how I was raised and I was raised conversely by a mother who was afraid of everything and protected me from everything. And oh. so I grew up with a chicken little kind of the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Um, you know, that that every day was was a problem to be overcome and something was there that was going to hurt me. And yeah. uh and it is and I still um, every day intentionally overcome that, you know, there's that, that deep seated child within you that's afraid and it wakes up with you every morning Mm -hmm. and you have to make the choice. I am not going to carry this scared child with me throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And I have to get up, throw off the covers, make the decision to take myself for a walk yeah, or dance. I walk or dance. Mm-hmm. Right, first thing mm-hmm. in the morning, and that dispels that kind of innate negativity and worry that hangs around me, uh, hangs around my heart, yeah. so that I can then actually pursue my purpose fear-free. But it's an yeah. everyday choice for me. Yeah, um, and that that brings I, me. I, I want to add one more thing to that, though, sure. Rena, and that is, I did have a boss that was influential on that as well. And so that would have been probably in my thirties and early forties. And, you know, he taught me to think about what's the worst that will happen. 
Hmm. And so I adopted that thinking. What's the best that my father used to say, things are never as good or as bad as they actually seem. And then this Mm -hmm. boss said, you know, what's the best that will happen? What's the worst that will happen? Reality is somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. And so I allowed myself to think about what's the worst that will happen. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that when I thought it through, it it really was never, never as bad. You know, when I started doing (laughs) some comparison and contrast, the world did not implode or explode as I had imagined it, right? And I think that taught me that the boundaries are far less broad on exceptional successes or exceptional failures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. And then that leads me to talk about choices that we can make. You know, um, you had alluded to the fact that society has judgment about age and that we hear that judgment all the time. It's all around us. Even when we're little, we're bombarded with attitudes about age and we really can't change that. But what we can do is make choices that will help us and allow us to remain healthy and significant. What are some of the choices that you bring into your life every day that allow you to remain healthy and positive and significant? Well, that's that's a lot in healthy, positive, and significant. I I'd say one of our our one of our secrets to success or something that we're proud of is that we have a lot of younger friends. Uh, We don't Mm. have people that, and I'm saying we because my husband is in his mid-70s and I'm 62, and most of our friends are younger than both of us. Um, And so there are some exceptions to that, don't get me wrong, that are our peers, but most of the people that we live in, uh, that we that we hang around with and do things with, are younger than we are, and they provide a a different view of the world that's really really mm-hmm. helpful to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that is helpful. Uh, I spend a lot of time really thinking about having fun and things that bring me peace, harmony, joy, happiness, and fun, and invest more time in that than I do in items that are heavy and obligatory. Um, if it's obligatory mm-hmm. and fun, that's fine. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm for the most part over these deep, heavy obligations that the world, our family, or friends impose on us. And then the third thing I would say is uh, I'm a cancer survivor, ovarian cancer, 16 years ago. And at that time, I decided I would not have negative people in my life. And so I, I, however coarsely it was, um, they were extricated from my life at that time. And um, mostly they weren't involved with my life when I had cancer, but I didn't reach out to them afterwards. And if I perceive that somebody will sort of suck the mojo out of me and <laughs> not necessarily for, with a positive intent, then I, I don't invest time in that relationship. Right. I want it to be Absolutely. really reciprocal. Yeah. Those are, those are three things that I'm conscious of. 
And and I know that you are conscious of fitness and you're conscious of food. If you could yep. give me one one food advice today, what would it be? Rena, if you just do this today, you are going to be healthier. One item. Or one I fact would, about food. Uh, okay. I would say don't eat processed foods. Amen. Don't eat things in a package. Eat things from the produce department and lean proteins. Now, that I can turn that into one answer, and that is uh, don't eat things from a package. It just is full of salt and full of fats, and the nutrition has all been processed out. And the problem is we get addicted to salt and fat and, and fat and sugar, and we want more of that. And we continue to eat more of that because mm-hmm. they don't have nutrients. And our body doesn't know why it keeps grabbing for more, but it grabs for more because it's looking for vitamins and minerals and lean proteins. And hence, what happens is we become obese eventually. First, we're mm-hmm. overweight, and then we're obese. As somebody who was over 200 pounds, I will tell you that it's so addictive and, and sugar yes. is the most addictive. So, okay, I'm going to talk it through. I'm going to say my one item is two items. It's processed foods and sugar. Gotcha. Okay, that's my final answer. Right. Great. I love it. Yeah. And I'm taking that to the bank. Now, you know, we're almost at our time today and you and I could talk all day. You know that. What? But I'm gonna have to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm gonna have to kind of wrap us up here. Yep. The way I end each episode is to answer a question that has been placed to me from one of our listeners. Oh yeah. Um, good. And and I'm and since you're a speaker and the question is about speaking, I'm gonna let you have a go at the question. Now this question is from Peggy, and she, her question is, how do I prepare for a speech? Do I write it out and memorize it word for word, or do I wing it and hope for the best? What do you have to say to Peggy about how you prepare for a speech? Well, let me back into that. I never wing it and hope for the best. I will say at this stage, (laughs) I'm a pretty good extemporaneous speaker. uh, And with a little bit of adrenaline, which we need during presentations, I can speak on my feet pretty well. However, I do believe in preparation and there is, there is always a relationship between a good presentation and the amount of preparation that's invested. So for me, it might look like something like writing an outline first and I'd, I'd actually just put the outline in PowerPoint. From there, I might flesh out what I want to talk about in speaker notes um, and then practice that actually on PowerPoint, practice that. I'd practice it out loud. I mm-hmm. actually with Zoom, I would videotape it. Eventually, I come back to trying to have 10 or 12 slides at the most for a 45 minute presentation, just as an example. And when I'm actually presenting, I don't look at the speaker's notes. I should have been fairly well versed from longhand to keywords that I can share my stories with the slides. 
Now, Mm -hmm. I very rarely, rarely, rarely talk to the screen, always talk to the audience and make eye contact. But there's no question that sometimes I've turned around and and looked at the screen for a minute, or I've cheated by looking at the laser on the on the remote control, and and you know, sort of highlighted something behind me as a memory trigger. Right. But the, <laughs> the 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 trick really is you must prepare in advance. I don't know any presenter um, that is a professional presenter that can just go and and tell their story unless they've told it really many many times um mm-hmm. so that that's my trick for preparing a presentation or preparing a speech well i totally agree with you uh and that's primarily the way i work as well and you mentioned uh if you've done it many many times um right. yesterday as a matter of fact i did a speech that i have done many many times Mm-hmm. I took for granted that I have done it many, many times, Ooh. and I didn't review. Boy, mm-hmm. I could tell when I was presenting, my mind would just go blank. Yep. Where yeah. am I? Right. And I had to go then to my speaker notes, which I always keep just in case. Right. Um, but that was a very good reminder that even if you know it like the back of your hand, if you don't review, right before you present, you're going to have a problem. And, yes. and the review is to do it out loud. I, I agree 100% to do it out loud, to, uh, to review. You triggered a thought with me to review right before the presentation. And actually, I always review it before going to bed the night before because yes. then it gets in your brain and you can move it from your short-term memory to your longer-term memory in theory. But then you have a higher likelihood of remembering it. So great tip, Greena, to to review it right before the presentation mm-hmm. or the morning Thank of, you. evening of. Yeah, good. Thank you. So this was excellent. Peggy, I hope that you got uh, an answer to your question. And now please remember, everyone who's listening, that your input and your questions are vital to this podcast. You can reach out to me at renacook at cox.net with any question that you have about voice, presentation, public speaking, or anything in your life that you want to get vocal about. Um, Jane, thank you so much for joining us today. You were just amazing. I am so inspired. Thank you so much. And thank you for your advice to me over the years of being a better speaker. And I will never, I will never be as good at pronunciation as you are, but you have helped me gain my voice. So thank you. Oh, thank you for that. Now, where can our listeners find you if they want to reach out to you? Two areas. You can reach me by email at jane at janemudget.com or just Google Jane Mudget and go to my website. You can find me that way. You can find my coach to coach videos there. And uh, the last place is you can find me on LinkedIn. Just Google Jane Mudget, J-A-N-E-M-U-D-G-E-T-T. And I would look forward to connecting with you soon. Thanks for asking, Rena. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you again for being with us. You were just amazing. So that brings us to the end of Let's Get Vocal with Rena. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Get Vocal with Rena. I want to remind you how important you are to this podcast. 
Send me your questions about voice, speech, presentation, confidence. You are part of this discussion. You can reach out to me through my website, myvocalauthority.com, or at renacook at cox.net. Lastly, let's take joy and generosity with us today and every day. Each of us has a role to play in making this world better. We can do this by simply finding joy in simple acts of generosity. And remember, we are all public speakers whenever we use our voice in the presence of another human being. Breathe deeply, stand tall, speak your truth boldly, and the world will listen.